We continue our series on the seven deadly sins. And I have a question for you. Have you ever stepped on the scale and said, man, I am so far away from God? Or, or maybe you're like, wow, look at those numbers. I am so close to God. Like, I am so holy based on those numbers on the scale. Hopefully not. All right, hopefully not. But today, we are going to talk about gluttony, and much of our understanding around gluttony revolves around food. We, we think about, when we hear that word, we think about like how big or small a person is. We're like, oh, they must be gluttonous. And I think when we do that, we miss the point, all right? Uh, I'm going to take my pastor's hat off for a moment, put my personal trainer hat on. But when we talk about, you know, weight... That is about calories consumed versus calories going out, right? So some of us have more calories in the bank. But, it, you know, it has nothing to do, really, with your spiritual life. In a culture where we are sitting down, right, most of our work, most of us, we work, we sit down, we're at computers. We want to go somewhere, we're not walking there, we're getting in a car. We get home, we're tired from all that sitting at work, and so we sit down and we watch TV, right? Like, we have so little movement in our life, it's easy for us in our culture and our time to do this. We live in a desk culture. All right, pastor hat back on. Oh, I forgot to take the personal trainer hat off. You don't want a double hat, right? Because then you look like, you remember like in the 80s, those hats, and they had the Two bills on either side. And people can't tell whether you're coming or going, especially if you have a beard. All right? So pastor hat back on. We talk about gluttony. We are talking about excess. Excess. Right? Excess in our life. So here's the problem. When we get to the Bible, there's some conflicting things there, especially if you think about this in the context of food. Proverbs says, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. That's pretty intense, huh? Anyone, anyone ever take that advice? It, it's a great diet tactic. Uh, it really preserves your life. But here's the problem. In Luke, Jesus says, And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We seem to have conflicting things, and you could say, Oh, well. New Covenant, Old Covenant. New Testament, Old Testament. We are free to eat, drink, and be merry now. But I think there's more to this. It's, it's, we seem to have a negative or positive. And so when we think of this in the context how we often do of food, right? Like how much we consume, we have conflicting stories here in the scriptures. But when we begin to look at this through the lens of excess, it becomes more clear. We need to talk to my mother. This is the second week in a row about cell phones and turning the volume off in church. You know, we need license, right? And you have to pass an exam in order to buy a cell phone. Do you know how to plug it in? We start, do you know how to use a VCR, right? We can go back. We can work them up. Gary Milley, uh, 
one of my professors, and uh, he wrote a book called The Seven Shades of Sin. And he gives a little history behind this term gluttony and basically how we came to think of it as we do. It, it, the history of is a monastic culture is really when these lists came together. And so in these monastic cultures, you have these monks who lived on very little. They shared all their food. They did all their work together. They had minimal aesthetic, you know, like clothes. And you've all seen Robin Hood, those weird haircuts. Poor, poor Friar Tuck. I don't know if that was a fashion statement or, you know, if he was just had a really bad haircut. But they lived in this type of this type of uh, community. And so what would happen is when one person would become sick, all the other monks would sacrifice a little bit of their food in order to give to that one who was sick. They limited their liberties, you might say, for the sake of other people, whether it's the sick in their community or outward. And so what happens if there's a monk who decides, no, I do not want to give my little bit to someone else. What they are actually doing is they are hurting the community. Their gluttony, their overindulgence determines the health of the community and specifically a health of a specific person. That person, their lack of self-control hurts the community of believers. And so self-indulgence makes us withhold essential services from those who are in need. And I think in the Canadian church, oh, come on now. Now it's going the wrong way. Can we go back like six slides? There we go. Not that far. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Yes. All right. Uh, so self-indulgence helps makes us withhold essential services. And I think in the Canadian church, um, this is something we need to think about. Well, very few of us practice a monastic lifestyle. I don't know. Anyone here? None of you got the funny haircuts. But we don't practice that kind of life. You know, we have houses and cars and clothes and lots of food. And we have many luxuries in our life. But there are some who don't, even in here in Canada. And so when we think of this in the historical context, we, I think, as a church, need to ask ourselves some hard questions. What does it mean to live while others struggle? What does it mean to live in the excess? Many of the things we often don't think of excess. But have we have excess when others struggle to survive. And I think when we look beyond the local church context and we think of the globe, this question becomes harder and harder to answer. We want to justify much of how we live. But it becomes really hard to answer. I don't know if you've been in other places of the world or even some very poor, broken places here. 
even in our own province. But it can become very hard to justify some of the luxuries that we do have. So in Philippians, in Philippians, uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And this letter was written while he is in prison. Now, anyone here been, don't raise your hand, been to prison. Uh, prisons then are not like they are today. As hard as prisons are today, they are nothing like they were then. In order for Paul to eat a meal, any piece of food, it had to be brought by someone, a friend, a relative, anyone. If he wanted clothes, if he needed someone to care for him, it had to be brought from the outside. Uh, many scholars, I was just listening to a book uh, by N.T. Wright about Paul, and he said that it is very possible that none of his friends or the people he knew even knew that he was in prison for the first while, which means no one's taking care of him. So here he is. He's writing this letter. He's dependent for his survival on the foods and clothes from other people. All those things. He can only live by the generosity of others. So this is the context to which, in which he writes this. For as I have told you before, and now tell you again, with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So here he is, he's in prison, and he's mourning. He's mourning because there's persecution. He's faced persecution from the Roman officials. And now his survival is dependent upon those outside these prison walls. He's dependent upon their generosity. And I think what Paul is alluding to here is that when we have a lack of generosity, it actually hurts others. It's this lack of generosity in, toward him hurts him in prison and hurts the message of the cross. It hurts the message of Jesus going forward. And I think we don't often think of gluttony that way. But I think if we think of it in the lens of Paul and the monks, when we think of it as over-excess, we need to see that our over-excess actually hurts people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. How often do people ask questions of the provision of God? God, why haven't you provided? Why is there no opportunity? Why, why, why? And many times it's because the church has not been obedient to what God has instructed us to do. Often people go to bed hungry and we have full fridges. People become emotionally wounded as they look at the comparative luxury that maybe friends and acquaintances live in compared to their own. And sometimes we think, well, I have nothing to give. I like what uh, Ronald Snyder, he tells a story in his book, Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger. And he says, I once organized a lecture where a senator from Pennsylvania argued that his, his constituents 
were so poor that they simply could not afford to pay another cent in taxes. He cited a letter from an irate voter as proof. This good person had written him announcing that her family could not possibly pay any more taxes. Why, she said, they already paid the government income taxes and sale taxes. And besides that, they bought licenses for their two cars, summer camper, houseboats, and motorboats. We all maybe think we don't have anything to give, but we all have some excess in our life. There's many luxuries in our life that we take in and we take for granted that we can do them. When a lot of that excess could be turned and used for other things. Paul says that the, their God is their stomach. And when the God is their stomach, it becomes an enemy to the cross. This is not just your stomach, but this is the excess of your life. And, and when we think of that, it, it can sound a little strong, right? Like you're saying, if I, if, I, don't know, I don't know what to pick here. Let's pick cable. I don't know, right? You're saying that if I have cable TV, I'm an enemy to the cross. We won't ask who has cable. I'm just saying my mom has it on two TVs, two separate places. But, but the, if the cross is about generosity and self-sacrificial love, then gluttony is the opposite of those things. And when we live opposite of self-sacrificial love, we live opposite to the cross. Here's the thing. I am often selfish. I'm very selfish. I like feeding the things that I want and I desire. As I, last night I was, uh, I was, uh, Every book I read, I take the quotes from it and I log it in a Word document because I'm a nerd. Um, and as I put that book on my shelf, I looked at the, my bookshelf, and this is just the bookshelf in my living room, and I'm thinking, man, there's so many books I haven't even got around to starting to spend money on. I, I like buying clothes. I like buying gym equipment now, and it's really expensive. I like eating. I like eating out. Like, I don't smoke, drink, or gamble, so I got to spend my money on something. I'm not allowed to go to the movies. Why can't it be sushi-nami? And, and so often I do these things, and I do not even have a second thought of anybody else. Like, it doesn't even enter my mind that, hey, maybe instead of eating some raw fish wrapped in rice and sushi that I probably could have made for a dollar at my house, I could have used that extra $7, and I could have used it for something else. And when I do that, I'm often an enemy to the cross. That's why I am so thankful for Paul's words to the church in Rome, where he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us, for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still totally opposed to who God is, Christ died for us. Now this doesn't give us license, but luckily we have some grace to learn along the way, a better way to live. 
As I like to say, we did our worst, but God does the best. Though we be enemies to God, reaches out to us in love and comes to us. And this is what the cross is all about, that even though we are opposed, God draws near. Luckily for us, there is always, always, always hope. Always hope. Always a time where we can say, I deny my flesh, and I will try and walk in grace and truth and hope and life. You know, We've often talked about the punishment of God and and what that means, and Paul brings it up here. We talked about how it's not God inflicting things, but letting us go our own way, letting us be our God, and then we reap the consequences of us being our own God, of our own idolatry in our lives. Paul's prison plea is that when we live our life based on the consumption, we reap the consequences of our misdeeds. Our excess in our life will always bring destruction. So think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. I don't know where I left off. There we go. Okay. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we, we look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we have an idea of what we think that is about. And we often say, well, we're not like them. But the book of Ezekiel, it adds some clarity to actually what was going on. Ezekiel says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor, and needy. This was the sin of Sodom. Whatever idea we have, this is the consequences. They fed their flesh. They fed their wants and their desires without a second thought to anyone else, especially the poor and needy. Gluttony for pleasure is a total disregard for others' needs. And what it did for Sodom is it led them down a path where their own sin defeated them. Where God said, you can go your own way, go your own way, right? And so deadly consequences is what they reaped. No matter the form of the gluttonous behavior that we have, right? It it can take infinite amount of forms. It is always self-defeating. Gluttony's destiny is destruction. Think of every story, especially think of movies. Every story about self-indulgent behavior always ends in dysfunction and destruction. Even one of my favorite books, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Damas. He gets all this stuff just to... Commit revenge. And if you don't watch the movie, if you read the book instead, here he is at the end of the book, and he's saying, I did all this just for revenge, and it was destroyed destroyed me inside. 
Even if we consume and we get all we want, we're like, so often, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who at the end says, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. It always ends in dysfunction and destruction. Every little bit of gluttonous behavior in our life reaps consequences, and it's consequences for both us and those of the lives we influence. Jesus, when he went into the desert, he faced it, he faced, he faced it, he faced it on the faced book. He faced the tempter who came to him to try and take him off his path. He tried to get him to dive into some gluttonous behavior. And Jesus' reply to the tempter needs to be our reply as well when we are tempted. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to live our life so that we are full of the things of God rather than the things of our wants, our perceived needs what our desires are. It's time we shift our focus away from being citizens of this earth and instead being citizens of heaven. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians in verse 20 right after this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. To be citizens of heaven it is not about living otherworldly, but instead rather establishing God's kingdom here in this world, in this life. So, as we talk about the first steps to the cure, the first steps to establishing God's kingdom, it's about rather than our desires, let's think of others above our wants. And that's a hard enough focus. I know it is for me. What can I do rather than do this for me? What could I do to help someone else? Paul in the Church of Rome, he says that we need to reform the patterns of our mind. This is not a natural train of thought, especially for us, especially in our culture. Every single advertisement is geared toward your desire of gluttonous behavior. They don't make those ridiculous commercials. Have you ever done this? Right? Because even though you have it, and you're like, yes, I need those sticky palm gloves for Tupperware containers coming out of the oven. That's what I've been missing my whole life. So often, they're geared toward their, uh, to our gluttonous behavior. All you have to look at is the founder of really modern advertising, Bernays. And yeah, he tapped into our desire for stuff and he milked us good. That's a weird, I won't say that again. But we need to change our focus away from ourselves and focus on Christ and the ways of Christ. To be citizens of God's kingdom means that we know and live out God's grace in our life. It's that we know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. 
And only when we know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us can we live in God's life and that we can live out God's kingdom life. Because we're not, we're not going to just get it right. But it's the grace of God that informs us. It's the grace of God that allows us to keep trying. To say, no, that's not who I am. I am a child of God. I am free from my bondage. I can walk in the freedom of God. It's only through the grace of God that we can know who we are truly in Christ. And I think that's important, that we recognize that we are divine image bearers and that we don't need things to compensate in our life. I know a really good book about this. Um, if you want to buy it on Amazon, let me know. I'll jack up the price. Uh, but we, we need to know who we are in Christ because it, when we do not, we look for external things, whether relationships, people, or products and things to fill our lives rather than Christ. We allow those things to define who we are. And when we allow those things to define who we are, we will never get enough. And we will keep needing more and more and more. But Christ has come to break the restraints of brokenness that is sown through our life. Being citizens of heaven is all about following Christ's example. The fullest example of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to establish God's kingdom, is the cross. The cross is the fullest expression of generosity and self-sacrificial love. We will never defeat the consumer culture that corrupts our souls unless we allow the grace of God to impact our life so that we live out generosity and self-sacrificial love. Gluttony is always defeated by generosity. Now, when we talk about generosity, this is... It's not about dropping dimes in the UNICEF bin or the Salvation Army kettle. That's great. It is good. Keep doing it. Maybe upgrade to quarters. But generosity is a lifestyle. It's not just about giving stuff. It's about giving our whole self, spiritually, emotionally, physically, it's about giving our resources to each other. Those inside these walls right now, those across this country and across this world. And I think when we think of this in a global context, we are confronted dramatically with our gluttonous North American lifestyle. Now there's certain there's certain cultural, um, there's certain geographical things. And so this question is not like simple, well, this means no, 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 yes, yes, yes. This is something we need to wrestle with as the body of Christ. Hear what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. It's something we need to think about. We need to ask ourselves. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do to confront the gluttony in our life? Because I think if we are honest with ourselves, the implications will dramatically affect 
not just your lifestyle, but how we live. I think it's a subject that we need to take more seriously. Our whole culture is built on consumption. Consuming, consuming, consuming. If we want to be true disciples of Christ, I think we need to know how this affects our lives and affects the lives of those we impact. So today, let's say no to the overindulgence of gluttony. Let's walk bearing our cross of generosity and self-sacrificial love. Today, lean on the grace of God to inform how you live. And let's take seriously what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. All right, question and response time. If you have a question, uh, you're on Facebook, you can write it in there. And if you are live here with us now, we have a mic that will stand at a distance and come by. So if you have a question, want clarity, want to push back on something, we have a microphone here that the ushers will bring to you. Just put your hand up. All right, I'm not even going to look on Facebook because it will probably start playing like my mother's phone did, and I have way more courtesy for both your time and mine. Okay, so what's the point? Point one, this is a real issue. This, this is a real thing. It's not just like, oh, yeah, gluttony, talking about gluttony. I won't have that butter on my bread at lunch. This is, this is actually a real thing that has real implications for people here and in the community of Christ across the world. Two, we are citizens of God's kingdom. We're not citizens of this earth. We have a home. And it's with Christ. And three, let's follow Jesus' example. If we want to know what this looks like, we look to Christ. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us in our indulgence. Uh, you know, man, this is hard. We like our ficky puddings and presents and our luxuries in life, the things that we have come to accept as norm, Lord, but emphasize, you know, a lot of the brokenness that are in our life. Lord, help us to see this through the context of your global church. Lord, bring conviction to us. But help us to hear what you're saying in the midst of this to us. Uh, not, not just to take rash decisions and, uh, you know, light our car on fire or something. But think about what, this, what are the true implications for our life. May your spirit speak to your community. May it guide us in these decisions. In your holy name, Father. Amen.